So I am Pastor Jody, the marriage and family pastor here at Waters Church, for those of you who don't know me. Um, And I just wanted to talk first off about something that we instituted a few weeks ago uh, to better be a resource for everyone who calls Waters Church their home uh, and even those who don't call it their home yet. Uh, We have waterschurch.org forward slash help. Now, this is a link that we have available to you guys Because who knows, there are many times in life where we need just a little bit of help, right? I mean, I know I do. On a daily basis, I need help. But this is the things that we have to offer you through this site. If you go to that link, you're going to have five things in front of you. One is marriage and family help. If you just need a little extra support in your marriage, with your family, with your kids, there's a link there. Click on it, and it will email me. I'll reach back out and we'll set up an appointment and we'll just sit down and talk and see what we can do to help Christ work through your marriage and through your children. Now, we also have some discipleship care. Maybe you are sitting there wondering what your direction is in life. What does Jesus have in store for you? Well, there's a link there. You click on that and it will email Pastor Chris, our discipleship pastor, and he will link up with you and set up a time to come together with you and kind of discover what Christ has in store for you in your life. We also have something as simple as a prayer request. Maybe that's all you need. Just some prayer for something. Click on that link. We also have a link there for mental health help. So maybe you're just struggling a bit. You're a little extra stressed at work. Maybe you've got a little anxiety from something coming up. We can set up an appointment, talk through how Christ can help you conquer those obstacles that are holding you back in life. And then finally, we have a help link there that if you are just in one of those seasons of life or you need just a little extra support, maybe you can't afford groceries this month, maybe you just need a little help in gas, something like that, we want to be able to help you in any way we can. So there's a form you can fill out there. It'll go into our queue and then we'll call, do some follow-up questions and see what we can do to help you in any way possible. So those are the ways that we have that website, waterschurch.org forward slash help to support you in any way that we can, okay? All right, now if you come to me, all your guidance is going to be on finding your foundation in Christ. So my message today is building your family on solid ground. Building your family on solid ground. Here in a second, we're going to get into Matthew 7.24. But I just want to say that this message is going to apply to everybody. I know if you're like, well, I'm not married. I don't plan on getting married. You know, I don't have a family. I don't want kids. You know, oh, I'm divorced. I don't, that, this isn't going to apply to me. I'm going to tell you. Building your foundation on Christ applies to everybody in here. Whether you're a young child right now, whether you're single, whether you're married, divorced, maybe you're living at home with someone and you and your spouse never talk. You're living together, but are you living together? This message is for you. There's going to be things in here that can help you rebuild your firm foundation on Christ and grow further and build even more on that foundation than you ever thought you could. So stand as we read Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Let us pray. Father God, we just welcome you in this place, God. There's no better place to be than your house, God. And we just ask that you begin to move across this place, open our eyes and our ears so that we can see and hear you clearly, God. Open our spirits so that we are 
attuned to what it is you want us to know today and how we can fall deeper into your arms, God. We just ask that you bless the words that are said here today. They are fruitful for your gospel. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I've got a few pictures here. I learn better by pictures, not by words. So I'm just going to put them up on the board. The first one we have here is the Fetine Amphitheater. This was built in 27 AD by Attilius. Obviously, you can see it was an arena used for gladiator fights. That was a big thing in the early part of the ADs. And uh, he wanted to start trying to monetize this. He was like, man, if I could just build a bigger, better place to have these gladiator battles, imagine how much money and how much richer I can be. So he forewent any kind of research. He used the cheapest materials and had it built as fast as he possibly could. The very first time that that theater was filled to capacity to watch one of the events, the entire thing collapsed, and historians think that upwards of 20,000 people died during the collapse. Why? Because it was built on the wrong materials. It was built on the wrong thing. It wasn't built on a solid foundation. Next we have, you guys recognize that one, right? Did anybody else as a kid think it was the Leaning Tower of Pizza? Because I definitely did, and I thought, that is a place I want to visit someday. But it's not. It's the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And construction began on that in 1172. It did not complete until tw- uh, 1372. Along the way, they started, they stopped, they started, they stopped. They've had multiple attempts at trying to rebuild and support the foundation. Almost as soon as they started construction, they noticed that the ground wasn't right for building, and things started to go south. Even to this day, it is still continuing to fall, and attempts are made over and over and over to keep it from collapsing because it has the wrong foundation. Now, I know what you're thinking, 27 AD, 1372, like, of course, they didn't have the technological advances that we have. Let's move forward a little bit. If we look at the next one, that one looks like it's on solid ground, right? The Transcona Grain Elevator. That is uh, at the end of the Canadian Pacific Railway, and it is a grain storage plant. So if it's a grain storage plant, you would think it is used to store grain. The first time they tried to put grain in it, that's what happened. It collapsed. It sunk immediately into the ground, one foot as soon as they put the grain in, and 27 degrees over the next 24 hours, and they had to stop using it. This was back in uh, 1913. So I know what you're saying again. Still a little old, maybe they don't know what they're going. Let's move all the way up to 2008. We have the Ocean Tower in South Padre. That is what it looks like today. Still like that. They began construction, almost immediately found out that there were issues in the foundation, that it wasn't going to support the building. They kept trying to go, kept trying to do it. And within one year, they had to completely scrap the project. And that is what is left, just a shell of what could have been because it wasn't built on the right foundation. So what caused these issues? Improper materials, rushed job, improper planning. We find out that over and over and over again, it's just a matter of time before disaster strikes. If we don't have the proper foundation, the proper materials and the proper planning to move forward. Now, uh, some of the stuff I'm gonna say to you today might sound a bit redundant, but who's familiar with Occam's razor? For those of you that aren't, it is that the simplest solution is most often the right solution. So you're going to hear some things that you're like, of course, of course I know that. Well, you need to hear it again, and you need to make sure that you're putting it 
into action in your lives. So when you hear me saying things that you're like, of course I know that, but are you doing that? Knowing something and doing something are two totally different things. So that is gonna bring us to point number one in your notes. If you want to be built on, then build on Christ. If you're hoping that with your foundation in Christ, someone else will help build on you, then you better hope you are building on Christ. Because no matter who you are, no matter who you interact with, people are going to help you build on your foundation. You build your foundation and then others help you build upon it. Who are you letting build upon your foundation? If we look in 1 Corinthians 3.10, it says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You cannot build your house alone. You will need other believers to help you. You will need people to come along and support you. But how are they doing that? What are they doing? Are they building you up in the things of this world? Or are they building, building you up in the things that will last? Because just like it said in Matthew, the rains will come, the floods will come, the winds will come. It doesn't say in Matthew that they may, if you build your house on a rock, maybe you'll have some bad weather. It says the floods and the rains and the winds will come. And all that is going to remain is that which is in Christ. And it's going to be revealed. If you're wondering to yourself, well, when that time comes, how am I gonna know? If we just go to the next verse in Corinthians, it says, it tells us here in point A, fires will reveal your foundation. Fires will reveal your foundation. The very next scripture in Corinthians says, now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work has been done. At some point, the rains and the floods will come, the fires will come. All that you will be left with is that which is founded in Christ. And it will be abundantly clear what was wrong in that building of your, you know, your house, your structure. What went wrong was what wasn't firm in Christ. I actually have a very vivid memory as a child. There was a tornado that came through our hometown and you know, I grew up in the backwoods of Virginia. So like a tornado was like the biggest thing that could have happened. It was, people were driving out and checking out and it was, it was really impressive to see like the power that a tornado could have. But one thing I vividly remember is we were driving down some backwoods and we went to a small Baptist church and the tornado had gone through and ripped the church apart. All that remained was the front wall, the back wall, and on the stage where the pews were strewn about and the walls were gone was a podium with a Bible on it and a microphone in front of it. Now, do I think that God saved the podium? No, but I think it, it worked as an illustration for me to think the power of the word of God and what it can endure. Where everything else was torn asunder, all that remained was the word of God. And it's just something that lived with me thinking, man, if I can just build my foundation on the word of God, how much more will he protect me? One of his creatures made in his image, how much more will he protect me? B in your notes is that with loss 
comes growth. I don't want you to think that things are going to come along and destroy everything you have and, and that's the end of it. With that loss will come growth. The very next verse, if we just keep going down Corinthians, it says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What does it mean by only as through fire? Well, I'm sure a lot of you know that there are times where forest fires come and they, they ravage an area and you're like, oh man, all that plant life gone. Well, I don't know how many of you know that usually the plant life comes back and often it's more lush and more thick than it was before. That is because the root system of those trees is so expansive and so strong that it actually helps to promote new growth in places where it wasn't growing before. So when the fires of life come through and they ravage your life and they take out all these things of the world that shouldn't be in your life, you can regrow if you're rooted in Christ and often learn through the experience and grow stronger and better and more firm in your faith than you even did before. Now, I don't wanna just leave you guys with, you know, hey, this is how you as an individual grows your faith so that you can move forward in life. I wanna give you some practical application. So yes, you need to grow your foundation, but how? How do you do that? How do you use Christ to grow your foundation? You'll see there's a little spot there under but how for you to fill in whatever of this you feel is germane to your life. The first one is lose yourself in the word. You ever try to build a house or put something, a piece of Ikea furniture together without the plans? Doesn't go well. If you're looking to build on the foundation of Christ, you need a set of instructions. And lucky for us, we have the perfect set of those instructions in the Bible. The American Bible Society did a study. They had a test group and a control group. And all they told the test group to do was read the Bible. Not go to Bible studies, not go to church, not change anything in their life. Just read the Bible. And they noticed that the symptoms of anxiety, stress, depression, and PTSD all dropped in the test group by only adding reading the word of God. So imagine what it can do for you. Imagine as a believer, knowing the power that the Bible has, if you begin to put it into your life, imagine what it can do for you. Now, I know a lot of people say, I just don't have time for that. I, I can't fit that into my schedule. Sure, you, maybe you can't read an entire book of the Bible every single day. Can, can you give God like a, a chapter, a verse? Can you give him a section? And I will tell you, whatever you're willing to put into God, he's willing to double and put back into you. So whatever effort you're giving, you know God's gonna return it to you tenfold, but it's up to you to put that effort in. And if you're putting that effort onto the living word of God, I challenge you to come back here and tell me it didn't improve your life. Next is surround yourself with believers, not sinners. Now that's not to say you can't have friends who don't believe. That's not to say you can't be around people who don't believe in Christ, but who are you letting build on your foundation? Who are you letting show up to your house with materials to build on you? If it's not people who are building with the foundation of Christ themselves, it's gonna be torn asunder. The winds are gonna blow it down. The fires are gonna burn it up and you're gonna have to start again. The next one I have here is fasting. Fasting is a powerful tool that is very underutilized by a lot of people. Fasting can do amazing things in your life. It reveals 
a multitude of things. First off, it reveals hidden sin in your life. What do I mean by that? Well, I know personally, years ago, I was having trouble with what I thought was anger. My kids would do something and I would just immediately go to yelling. I'd immediately go to being angry. And I was praying constantly like, God, why am I so angry? Stop making me so angry all the time. And then I decided I need to fast on this. And I spent two days fasting and just praying over this anger thing. And God revealed to me that I did not have an anger issue. My issue was with patience. I had no patience. So it would manifest itself as anger, but it would be more, my kids would be doing something. I wouldn't be patient enough. And then I would yell. So once I switched my prayers from anger to patience, it changed my life. And my kids can testify to this when you see them. I, it totally changed the way I talked to my kids, the way I talked to my wife, because he revealed to me my hidden sin. It also can increase our intimacy in God. When you start to cut out some of the things in your life, food that you need to live, you know, a lot of times we say social media, all those things are wrong constantly. When you start to put that stuff on a back burner and put Christ to the front, our intimacy in him just expands beyond what we can even understand because we've decided that this isn't more important than God. That will never be more important than my savior. Amen. It also helps us to hear God. When we're fasting and we're quietly sitting, it helps us to hear God, which is my next thing. When's the last time that you just sat and listened? When's the last time that you did nothing but just sit and wait on God? Often we're so busy asking God for things and telling God things that we never take a second to see if he's responding. He's got an answer for us, but do we give him a chance to tell us or are we just powering through, complaining more and more and piling more and more on top instead of just sitting, taking a deep breath and listening for God to speak into our lives? Now, this next one is important and congratulations, you guys are already doing it. Make church a priority. You think you can build a house without once going to the store? once going out to buy stuff, you've got, if you're trying to build your life, you've got to be in his house. When you look at a study done by the International Journal of Epidemiology, I practiced that many times so that I could get it right. (laughs) International Journal of Epidemiology. Epidemiology is the branch of medicine that deals with the cure of potential disease and other health factors. Now, this is a, a, a worldly journal, internationally recognized, it's not a biblical thing, but they found that in individuals who attended church once a week, that's all they did, people who go to church once a week, they had a 26% lowered risk of all causes of mortality. 26% on all causes of mortality. They noticed that heavy drinking dropped by 34% and smoking by 29%. They also, just like the American Bible study, found that any symptoms of depression, anxiety, hopelessness, loneliness, stress, all dropped by attending church once a week. That's all they asked them to do. Being in the house of the Lord is transformative. And for those of you who are watching online, I hope that you make it into one of those houses soon, one of those locations, because the work that can happen in this place is, it's unbelievable. And we're all a testament to it. So we're gonna move to point number two here. Marriage joins foundations. Now, I want you to notice that I didn't say pulls together, didn't say that it abuts to. I said it joins foundations. You become 
one foundation under Christ. So your foundation needs to be strong and her foundation needs to be strong because when you come together, your foundation can only be as strong as the weakest foundation. It doesn't matter who has a crack in their foundation. When those two are joined together, there is a crack in your foundation. Now, that is why we do extensive premarital counseling here. We want to make sure we try to repair those cracks ahead of time before they become big issues in a marriage. But you guys, that's why it's so important during that first point to grow yourself and strengthen your foundation so that when you do get married, that foundation is strong. And maybe you are married now, but you and your spouse aren't getting along and you know, you're, you, you've had it with them. You still are combined under the covenant of God and your foundation is their foundation. And it's up to you to build your own and strengthen your own, but to help them realize the cracks in their foundation that you so desperately want to help them fix. So what is a godly marriage? We need to have a godly marriage. What is a godly marriage? 1 Corinthians 11, one through three says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So a godly marriage is one that put God, God at the head. It's led by a godly, Bible-fearing, Bible-believing man who puts Christ's rules before his own rules and cares about his, his wife. If Christ isn't the head of your life, how will you ever be the head of your wife? He needs to be the center of everything you do. And a lot of people will be like, yeah, but that's easy for you to say, you know, it's, what if I put him there? What if I do this? I'm telling you, if you make a concerted effort to balance everything you do off of the scales of Christ, your marriage will change. But it's up to you to take that practical step of doing it. Now, there's going to be issues in marriage. We all know that, right? That is point B in your notes. What causes dissent in a marriage? What causes dissent in a marriage? A lot of times it's just, there's a lot of things that can cause issues. I'm gonna go over a couple today. One's gonna be lack of communication. That's a big one. I will tell you that is the number one cause of issues in a marriage is a, a lack of, of communication between each other. The next is a lack of trust. You just don't trust the other person. And you know, if you're not building on trust, it's a dangerous place to start building. The next is going to be a, it's a little bit of a, a dodgy one here. You ready? So it's a disproportionate desire of physical intimacy. You see how I so deftly avoided saying the word sex. <laughs> but that is gonna be another one that uh, it definitely leads to issues in a marriage. Now, one of the final ones is financial issues. And if you are currently, I'm not gonna talk about today, but if you are having financial issues in your marriage and it's causing you to have a bad marriage, I encourage you the next time we have Financial Peace University, take that class. It is transformative. And once you start to give your finances over to Christ, he will start to change that avenue in your life and relieve some of those financial stresses that may be causing issues in your marriage. But today I'm gonna to talk about the first three. So lack of communication. How do you improve on your lack of communication? You learn to talk to each other, not at each other. 
you're going to have arguments with the person you spend the majority of your life with. You're going to get into disagreements. You're going to get into arguments. But how do you talk to that person, not at that person? The, the problem that a lot of us get into is we don't want to listen to what the other person has to say. So they start telling their side of the story. They start telling us why they're upset. And we're already thinking in our head what our rebuttal is going to be. Like, I hear you saying that. But yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then as soon as they stop talking, you're like, but you... Why don't we just listen? Listen to what they have to say. I tell you what, there is no more humbling of a feeling than being in an argument with your wife and she makes a great point. And then you have to sit there and think like, she's right though. And how do I tell her she's right without looking like a fool? Sometimes it's okay to look like a fool and admit that you are wrong or that their point is better. Arguments in a marriage aren't about winning or losing. It's about coming to a resolution that helps you both grow stronger together. Now, you got to fight fair, too. That's something we all need to learn. If you're here with your spouse, don't look them in the eye, but just lean over and be like, fight fair. It's true. Do you know what, a, you know what the best thing about the past is? Leaving stuff there. We don't need to throw everything back that they've ever done. Imagine if Christ kept our past ready and was ready to weaponize it at any moment and throw it back at us. We would all be very ashamed in that argument. Learn to fight fair with each other. You're going to argue, you're going to fight, but take turns, talk quietly. One thing I want you to do the next time that you're in an argument with your your husband or your wife, think to yourself, would I talk to my boss this way? Would I talk to another believer this way? Would I talk to somebody in that cafe the same way I just talked to my wife? Or would you, you know, your wife comes and takes something that's yours. Hey, what are you doing? Give that back. Somebody does it in the cafe. Is that what you do? Or are you like, um, excuse me? Uh, I actually think that's my, oh, that's yours? That was, mine's over here? Oh, okay, I'm so sorry about that. That's the kind of conversation you want to have. Think to yourself, the next time you're ready to yell at your wife or your husband, Would you talk to somebody else that same way? You're getting ready to talk to the person you entered into a covenant relationship with Christ with. In Ephesians, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. I guess mom was right. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. You should be building your spouse up with the words you say to them, not tearing them down. You're trying to build a house together on the foundation of Christ. Your words should reflect that through grace and peace and kindness. Oh boy, trust. Trust is something that is built and not given. You have to build trust with a person. Nobody comes for the first time meeting somebody and right away trusts them. So what kind of foundation are you giving each other to build that trust upon? Are you keeping secrets from each other? Are you hiding the passcode to your phone? Do you have a a secret email address somewhere? Do you uh, clear your browser history? Do you have hidden apps? If you're not an open book, don't expect somebody to want to read you. You need to make sure that you are an open book. And if you're not, do you know what it is? You probably shouldn't be trusted. You need to make sure that you clear the things out in your life that are keeping your spouse from trusting you so that you can start to grow together with Christ as the foundation of trust in your relationship. I'll encourage you right now, if you have any of that in your life, if you are currently hiding things that are keeping your spouse from trusting you, open up to them. 
It will do wonders when you come to your spouse and you are honest with them and you are forthright and you say, you know what? I need to talk to you about something. For years I've been doing this and I'm sorry and I know it's gonna hurt you and I know it's gonna be a battle for us to uphill overcome this that I've put into our relationship, but start to heal that now. Let that fire burn away that crap so that you can come back and be stronger for it. All right, now we get into the next one. Sex. It is a very touchy subject because people are built different and people have different desires. The thing that you have to remember is how are you going to expect someone to meet your desires at all if you've never made them known? So talk about it. Make your desires known. Now, I'm not talking about making a list of demands, but I'm talking about... <laughs> See how that works out for you. <laughs> Again, uh, watershirts.org forward slash help. Um, <laughs> make your desires known, not a list of demands, but through effective communication, figure out how you can find that middle ground where both of you are happy. Because without having that communication there, things are gonna go south. Now, I want you to know that resentment can come a lot of times when we, are like, when we have these unmet expectations that we've only ever had in our head. So if you're keeping things in your head, whether it be physical or not, there could be an expectation that like the dishes aren't getting done often enough. And you, every time you come in, you're like, freaking dishes aren't done again. God. But have you ever said anything? One of the, 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 the things that can tear a foundation down quick is resentment that you just keep and you stew on and you let it grow and you let it infect your spirit instead of just saying, hey, sweetie, I've noticed that this is happening. Can we try to work on a way where we can get that better instead of just constantly being like, again, here we go. And never voicing that concern. And again, I'll come here to, but how? That's great. I need my foundation of my marriage on Christ. I need to grow myself on Christ. But how do I grow my marriage? You should be praying together with your spouse. We have a couple that actually works here, Brandon and Sharon. They are on staff here. And when they first started working together, I noticed that every time they prayed before they ate lunch, they would pray together, holding their hands, and then he would kiss her. And for the first few weeks, I was like, okay, this guy is weird. <laughs> and then at one point, I was like, well, I mean, I like the fact that he's praying with his wife, but why when we're all sitting? And it'll be like mid-conversation. I'll be talking, and right before they get, he'll be like, yeah, I just want to, dear Jesus, I just love you. <laughs> And right back to the conversation, I'm like, all right, what is this about? Why are you doing this? And he made a great point. He said that they made a deal that at the beginning of the day, end of the day, and when they eat, they are going to pray. And when they get done praying, they're going to kiss each other. And he said, it's because no matter how angry I am, no matter how mad I am, no matter what kind of argument we are in, we have made a deal that we will pray together and kiss each other. And he said, sometimes that ends the argument. Like I do it and then I'm like, man. I really do like her, you know? So something as simple as that, but praying. I also saw that there was a study done. It was a Gallup poll done by the National Association of Marriage Enhancement. And it showed that the divorce rate per 1,000 people of couples who prayed together was one. One in 1,000 is the divorce rate for couples that pray together. You need to experience the scriptures together, whether that's through a devotional study or reading the Bible. But if we go back to that ABS study that showed that it can relieve stress, anxiety, depression in your life, 
Imagine what it can do under the covenant relationship of Christ for your marriage, the stress, anxiety that it can relieve from that if you are willing to open up the living word of God and put it into your marriage. Attend church together. Now, this is hard sometimes, especially when kids get involved and there's things going on, but make an effort to sit together and let the Holy Spirit do some work. Sometimes that's all you need. It's just to let the Holy Spirit do some work in you. In Matthew 18, 20, it tells us where two or more are gathered, I am there with them. So gather with your wife together with God and let him do some of the work. Continue to work on yourselves individually. Once you get married, you can't just switch to only concentrating on your marriage's spiritual strength. You need to continue to grow yourself. It's an ongoing process that no matter what age, you should be trying to grow further in your relationship with Christ. That doesn't stop when you get married. It should increase. You should be increasing your strength so that when that other person is weaker in their walk, weaker in their faith, you can be the one that helps support it and move them through until things equal back out in your relationship. Uh, if you look at 1 John 3.18, it says, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. What does that mean? It means that love is more than just a word or a feeling. It's an action. Love is an action. Anybody can tell anybody else, I love you. You can walk up to anybody and be like, I love you. People do it as a joke. If you watch TikToks, people walk up and say it to people to try to get a rise out of them. You can say those words, but do your actions reflect the love you have for someone? And the last one, very important. Tune in, everybody. Date your spouse. Date your spouse. It is important. That is how you got them to be your spouse. You went on dates with them. You took them out. You had fun with them. Continue to do that once you are married. And even more importantly, once you have kids. Date night is also not just delivery food and Netflix. Take your spouse somewhere nice. Take your wife to a nice restaurant open the door for her. My wife laughs at me every time because when we go on a date, I switch to date mode and I like, I'll go and I open the door for her. And even when I'm doing it, she's like, you're such an idiot. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> but I need to do this because I'm dating my wife. Amen. Now she's dropping hints. You guys just got to make sure you catch them. She's telling you, whether it's by leaving a book open, by showing you a video, and isn't this cute? She wants that, guys. If she told you it was cute, she wants it. So listen to those hints. She's telling you where she wants you to go and what she wants you to get her. Listen to your wife, date your spouse, and make sure she knows you love her. Number three, children should strengthen a foundation, not sunder it. Children should strengthen a foundation, not sunder it. Kids should add to your relationship. They should be something that springs you along in the joys of raising believers in Christ. If your foundation's strong and your marital foundation is strong, you should love to raise kids in the faith. If you look at Psalms 127, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now, kids do add a dynamic to a relationship that a lot of times you're not prepared for, especially when you have multiple kids. When I went from one to two, I was like, oh, this is tough, but it was good. When we went from two to three and we had to switch from man coverage to run in zone, it was, when I went from, so I have five kids, two to three was far tougher 
then three to four, four to five. I figured at this point I could have at least a cool dozen and it would be all the same at this point. But that move from two to three, man, when you've got like three doing sports and one at robot camp and run, just running circles in the front yard, it puts a weight on your relationship. But if your foundation is strong in Christ, you can support that weight and you can grow knowing that the foundation is the rock of Christ and you can exemplify that for your children. So A in your notes is that parenting happens together. Proverbs 27 says, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him because parenting happens together. You need to be a united front when you're trying to raise kids, especially if you're trying to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Nothing can crack a foundation quicker than disagreeing on parenting. Kids are always watching, they're always listening, and they're always picking up on the bad stuff first. We know that if you have kids, you know that that one has been out at a store and has said something and you've whipped your head around and been like, where did you learn that? They always pick up the bad stuff first. Be an example so that they have the things of Christ to learn and to find. Now, a few things. When you guys are arguing, you will argue in front of your kids. You will disagree in front of your kids. A few things you have to remember. Try not to let them see you fight. You can argue. You can disagree. You can discuss things in a heated way with your spouse. Don't argue and yell in front of your children. Do not belittle your spouse in front of your kids. When they say something, don't be like, of course that's what he would say. Of course she's going to tell you. Do not belittle your kids. If you want to go into a room privately later and discuss why you agree or disagree in an effective way about that, that's fine. Do not do it in front of your kids. And don't undercut the other person. If somebody says, no, you're not going to do that, don't swoop in and be like, it's fine. They can do it. Because now your kids realize that you're not on the same page and you're not united front. And if you're going to try to push them forward to realize what they need to be in life under Christ, they need to realize that you are united also. You can disagree, but exemplify that you can have an adult discussion with each other that comes to a resolution. Point B in your notes. Raise your kids with purpose. Raise your kids with purpose. I I put that word raise in there because I'm not talking about just having kids and letting them coast through life. You need to raise your children. When we look at Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I know it can get aggravating sometimes when we've asked them to do the same thing for the hundredth time. But how do you think God feels when we've asked for forgiveness for the same sin for the hundredth time? Thank God he is graceful. And we need to have grace with our children. Now, when it says discipline there, I'm not talking, it's not talking necessarily about physical discipline. It's talking about the disciplining or the raising up of your kids. And actually the word there in Greek, any of my big fat Greek wedding fans in here? Okay, I will tell you how this word is Greek. Paideia, pious, meaning child, edios, meaning education, educate your children, and there you go. (laughs) Paideia, it means to educate your children. That's the word discipline right there, to educate your kids. Not just on the things of the spiritual realm, but teach your kids how to be functional humans in a dysfunctional world. 
Teach your kids that they have responsibilities in life that they will need to accomplish without you at some point. You know, your kids should be doing chores. Your kids should be doing work around your house, not just because it makes your job easier, even though that is a perk. I have not cleaned a toilet in four years, but they need to learn how to do those things in the physical world. I had college roommates that could not do a load of laundry. They would come and get me and be like, how much do I put? Where do I put the detergent? They couldn't. I had a roommate, I kid you not, put brownies together, put them in the oven, went to class. Yes, came back three hours later to a solid brown brick of burnt brownie. That's pretty cool little, yeah, I like that. Um, These people, he didn't know how to prepare a meal, didn't know how to do his laundry. They don't know how to make their bed. All of these are things you should be teaching your children to do through chores and responsibilities in the house. Have them pull the weight around the house. I also had college roommates who were so sheltered during their life that they were not ready for the spiritual warfare that was gonna take place and the world ate them alive. So yes, you need to prepare your kids, learn how to make their own meals and do their own laundry and clean up after themselves, but they need to learn how to fight for themselves in the spiritual realm. They need to learn that this world is bigger than what they can understand. And if they're not ready for it, if you're not teaching them the ways of the Lord, I can guarantee you that the devil is teaching them his ways. So give them the foundation of Christ that they need to grow upon and be ready for what this world's gonna put. And what way to better way to reflect that than being a firm foundation yourself. Proverbs 22, six says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. If you have trained your child up in the way of the Lord, when he departs from you and goes off into life, when she goes out to college or to a job or gets married her himself, you can know that they might depart from you, but they will never depart from the ways of the Lord if they have been trained up in discipline in those ways. Again, we get to the but how. How do I do that? How do I make sure that my kids are building their foundation in Christ? Lead by example. If you are not living a godly life, why would they? If you aren't showing them on a daily basis how to live with Christ as the center of everything, why would they do it? Read the Bible to and with your kids. Should we go back to that same study or should we just realize that the word of God is a mighty tool no matter what stage of life you are in. It is crucial to let the living word of God into your life, into your marriage and into the lives of your kids. Worship music in the house. Now, this is something I didn't do until about three or four weeks ago when Pastor Tim challenged us from the stage to start playing music in that worship music and see what happens. And it made a difference. I started playing worship music just in the background, just going. And it's not even like before I was playing some other kind of music in the house and I replaced it. I just didn't even think about it. I started playing worship music and my kids were calmer, especially in the morning when you're getting ready for school. And if, if you have children, you know that that is the most stressful time in your life is trying to get your kids ready for school and out the door. But I would just start playing music and things just went smoother. There was less discontent. The kids weren't yelling at each other. I wasn't ready to choke one of them. It was wonderful. Make church a priority. I sound like a broken record and I told you that sometimes the simplest solution is the right one. 
bring your kids to church. They need to be in the house of God. They need to be hearing the word of God preached to them, no matter what level. You got a one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old. At every age, they should be in this building hearing the word of God and experiencing the worship music. All your children back there hear worship music every week. So they're getting the word, they're getting the worship, they're getting all those things that will help them to grow firmer in their foundation. When they screw up, don't just yell at them, instruct them, show them what they did wrong, show them how to learn from it and what to do better next time. And acknowledge when you screw up. When you make a mistake, let your kids know that you made a mistake. I just the other day was in an argument with my son. He did something and we, we, it got to a level it shouldn't have got to. I left, I came back and I sat him down. I brought him to Jack, come here. And he thought I was gonna get back into him. He's like, oh, what? And I said, I just wanna say, we let that get somewhere it shouldn't have. And we just talked about it. We got to a resolution that we wanted to get to before. I apologize for letting it get to that level. It's okay for your kids to see you're not perfect. Because guess what? None of us are perfect, but we are all perfected in Christ. And they need to see that. Celebrate the good and admonish the bad, but don't just do one. Don't just constantly celebrate your kids that they are the the best thing that's ever been created. Your kids will screw up. We all screw up. When they do, let them know they made a mistake, but make sure when they do something good, you celebrate it. A lot of times we get caught in that constant correction of our children. It's okay to take a step back and be like, hey, you know what? You did awesome there. Great job. You made me proud to see you do that. Tell your kids you're proud of them. Tell them that you're happy that they are growing up in the ways of the Lord. So our sermon in a sentence is that with Christ at the center of your life, you can grow with your wife and raise kids without strife. Took me a long time to find some rhyming words in there. But it's true. If you... At whatever stage of life you are in, if you can find your center in Christ and you can find your foundation, then everything else after that will be built on the right foundation. Your marriage with your wife, with your husband will be built on the right foundation. Your kids can see the example of a strong foundation and can grow upon that the right way. Now, point number five, you'll see is totally blank. This is that bonus little point after a sermon in the sentence. I'm doing things crazy here. But that point is, it is not too late. You might be sitting out here right now and you've never accepted Christ as your savior. You don't even know why you're in this building right now. I'm telling you it's not too late to start building your foundation on Christ. If we look at 2 Corinthians, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not too late. Maybe you've got an appointment next week with a divorce lawyer. It's not too late. Maybe your kids are, they moved out of your house. They're living with somebody. They're doing drugs. You just think they're headed down a path they shouldn't be headed down. It's not too late too late. We serve a God of reconciliation that if we make a decision to start building our life on him and his foundation, everything after that will be changed. Take the opportunity to burn away those things of the world that don't need to be there and rebuild them on Christ. 
It doesn't matter how big the crack is in your spiritual foundation, Christ can repair it.